Um, let me pray and begin our time together. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we want nothing else but you and your presence in our lives. Jesus, we want to lift you high in this place. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your sacrifice. And because of what you have done for us and all that you are doing in our lives and will continue to do, we worship you and we pause to give you thanks. God, we pray for this community, God, as we continue to hear from your voice, may we obey your voice and may this community continue to be the kinds of people that honor you in all of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, again, if we haven't met, I'm David and from Westgate Church and um, super, super grateful to be here today. I will be talking about uh, Christian community and the state of loneliness that many of our world is in. A recent Harvard study, just a survey just showed that over 35% of Americans feel lonely all the time. And that number increases to 60% for ages 18 to 25. Young generation, even though we are more connected than ever, uh, through our social media and our digital devices, we sense and we feel this incredible feeling of loneliness and isolation and this FOMO, fear of missing out as we're scrolling down to all of our friends who are in Tahoe and we're stuck here. And, um, and if you're watching, we still love you, by the way. And um, we, we sense and we are longing for, uh, uh, in our young generation and all of us, we are longing for deeper community. And if you are new to this community, welcome. And you are figuring out who your people are and, and where you can fit in. And some of you, you've been part of this community for a while, but you're still sitting here wondering who really knows who I am and where can I be, where is a safe space where I can belong and be seen and known and loved. And it's hard for us to admit and say, I'm lonely, right? It's hard for us to say something like that. But the data shows that, and, and Cigna, they did like a 200,000 uh, people survey every year. And loneliness has been increasing every year since the entrance of the digital age. And I would say Christians as well, Christian communities, we are also part of that data that we uh, feel like we're attending here and we're coming on a Sunday morning, but you look around and you're wondering um, who are some of the folks that can journey with me. And this is really important for all of us because God uh, made us in community, the triune God for community, right? God made us in community for community. And he says, it is not good for a man to be alone. And so this desire and this longing that God has put in us and for us to embody community, this is central to what it means to be God's people. I love this quote from Dr. Kurt Thompson. We all are born into the world looking for someone looking for us. All right, think about that. We are all born into the world uh, looking for someone, looking for us. We all long to be seen, known, and loved. It's the desires of our hearts. And, and, the, and so today we're going to be looking at uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. And so if you have your Bible, again, 1 John chapter 4, 9 through 12. And we're going uh, to hear from the text why this is so important to love one another well and to forge deep 
and meaningful communities and how to do that in this cultural moment of loneliness and isolation. So 1 John 4, 9 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Pause here. Uh, let's go back and, um, I mean, this is the gospel message. I love that, right? Not that this, uh, this is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us and sent his only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is the faith in which we build our lives. And then the next verse is following. It says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Let me, uh, let me say that again. If no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, uh, David, you're talking about Christian community, loving one another well and building this deep sense of belonging. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It seems like, it seems like at least, there are two theological errors. Bible nerds in this room, you're like, this feels strange to me. What do you mean uh, if we love one another, God lives in us? God already lives in us, right? David, I know that from the scriptures, that we are saved by grace. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he comes into our lives totally by his mercy and kindness, and he dwells in us and never leaves us. And so what do you mean God lives in us? And his love is made complete. David, what are you talking about? First of all, it's not even me. It's the text. And, and that I thought his love is perfect to begin with. So is this an error? Is this a theological misunderstanding? What's happening? I thought his love is complete from the beginning, that his perfect love encounters us. What this text is saying, friends, this morning is that as we love one another, we experience and encounter more fully his presence in our lives. Did you see that? And that as we love one another, that we encounter the greatness of God's love for us in our lives. So, friends, loving one another is essential to not just about our journey of uh, belonging and community. It's essential in the sense that as we experience loving one another, that we realize more fully God's deep care for us, his love in our lives, and we experience more of Jesus in our lives through loving one another well. Amen? So, with that... The question is this, David, how do we continue to cultivate in this culture of loneliness? How do we love one another well? What does that practically look like? Instead of just saying, David, like, uh, don't just share with us, love one another well. What does that look like? And I'm glad that you asked because recently I wrote a book about it. <laughs> Thanks for asking. And it's called Made to Belong and um, Five Practices for Cultivating Community in a Disconnected World. And if you're watching online, you could buy it from Amazon and wherever. And we have actually at the end of the service, if this is something that you are journeying through or if you know folks that you want to grow in cultivating deep community. I thought about small group leaders. I thought about Westgate Church. I thought about Silicon Valley and how people move here for work, not for relationships. 
And so we are all busy and we are lonely and we want to continue to grow and cultivate a deep, caring, loving community. And this is something that I wrote not because I'm an expert. First, I'm a pastor. And I regularly saw as I was meeting with our newcomers who are coming to Westgate, folks who are in life groups or small groups or community groups, what have you, many of the folks would tell us that they feel lonely and that they would love to find deeper community. More than that, it's been my own journey as well. I've moved over 22 times. And so um, I just every time that I would begin to build and forge community relationships, I would have to move. And, um, and someone who was born in South Korea and moved here when I was 10, I mean, I sense as an immigrant, incredible feeling of isolation and loneliness. I didn't know the full, uh, culture. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the community, neighborhood. I mean, I couldn't understand any of it. And, and it's not just for folks who are immigrants. Like many of us here, you've moved here from a different place or this is a new church community or you're part of a small group and you still feel like, why is our conversation so shallow? Have you ever been in small groups like that? I have, and ones that I'm leading, <laughs> right? And I'm like, ah, oh, I wish we can go deeper. And so what does that look like for us to cultivate that? And so in this book, I talk about, and as I study the scriptures, as I listen to our folks in pastoral ministry, as I studied social sciences, I found five repeated patterns. Let me say that again. Five repeated patterns and practices that we can all do together to cultivate community and to love one another well. And through that loving one another well, that we experience more fully God's deep love and care for us. Are you ready to jump in? Yeah? Okay. Let's start with the, let me share with you the five. And they are priority, chemistry, vulnerability, empathy and accountability. Let me say that again. These five practices to cultivate community, priority, chemistry, vulnerability, empathy, and accountability. And let me say this, that the order of these practices matter significantly. Okay. So let me go back, let me go to the slides again. Priority, and, and, and this makes sense. Think about it, right? I said priority number one, chemistry two, vulnerability three, empathy four, accountability five, right? If you put accountability first, right? If I haven't even prioritized my relationship with you, I haven't even, we, we don't have anything in common, and I haven't even opened up, and if I just go and start rebuking and correcting you, and I don't even know your name, right? That's what friends we call spiritual abuse, Ouch, right? In the name of God and in the name of the Bible, without even caring and knowing their journey, we just go right into accountability and that breaks community. And so the order in which we cultivate is essential for safe community and deep community. So with that, let me start with the first one. The practice of priority. And what, what I mean by priority is that we have to be intentional about the relationships that God has given us in our lives. 
Uh, they uh, recently, uh, I read a book. Uh, um, she, her name is Bronnie Ware. She's a palliative nurse uh, helping folks in the last nine months of their kind of final stages of life. And as she began to kind of hear stories after stories as she was caring for folks who are in the final nine months of their lives, and the repeated theme that she's heard from them is that they regret not building deep friendships, that they feel lonely and isolated. And when we don't intentionalize, and, and we live in a digital age where we can actually go through the entire day without seeing anyone. We don't even have to show up to church. Again, no rebuke for folks who are watching online. We love you, right? <laughs> and, and, and I get it. You might have health concerns, and totally we understand. But you don't even, we can actually go through a day or two, a week during COVID. I could go through a month without seeing anyone. And, and we then begin to believe the lie that we can actually do life alone. And we begin to believe the lie that with our phone and with our digital connections that we can actually live the world alone. And the invitation that God has for us to prioritize relationships, and here is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Here's what it says. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward good, uh, love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, and during the, and we, as we are in the post-pandemic world, the COVID has conditioned us to not really engage in community. And that it has become, and even post-pre-COVID, what we have begun to realize is that through the advancement of the digital age, that we tend to disconnect ourselves from human-to-human -human interactions. And Hebrews is making this beautiful case that please not give up meeting together. It does, notice it doesn't say unless you are busy, unless you are in grad school, right? Unless you have a bad problem. And some of you, do, I do too, right? Unless, oh, this one, unless you have young kids. Ooh, I said it. And I have young kids too, and I get it. We wake up and life is crazy, and we're like, yeah, forget it. We're not going to go to that small group. Forget it. We're not going to go to Sunday. It's crazy. Our kids are acting out, and we just rather just be disconnected, right? But the invitation is that this is the scriptural invitation to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. David Brooks says this, thus, the most complete definition of commitment is this, falling in love with something and then building a structure of behavior around it for those moments when love falters. So what does it look like for you to prioritize relationships that God has given you? What would that look like to commit Maybe put it on your calendar, just one thing where you can protect. Maybe it's your small group. Maybe for you, it's just even committing to a Sunday morning, and we're so glad that you're here. Whatever that first step is to prioritize community, what would that look like to build an intentional structure so that we can continue to build rhythms that prioritize relationships and one another? Second practice, the practice of chemistry. Chemistry is really important, but some of you are like, wait, is this even Christian? I thought, we, I thought we're supposed to love all. What do you mean chemistry? I thought community is about, I thought we need, to be, we, we, need to, we need to be open to all. We need to be caring about everybody. And this is what I thought too growing up. 
And growing up, I hated cliques, right? And I was in a youth ministry where there's so many cliques, and I hated them because I never got invited to one. And I remember when I, I said, when I become a youth pastor, and I was a youth pastor for 11 years, that I vowed that there would not be one clique in my youth ministry. So when I became a youth pastor, I gathered around our student ministry leaders team. And I, t I gave them a name. We weren't just called student ministry team. We were called the clique busters. And I gave them the name, and I said, friends, like, I'm raising you up, and your goal is, at, during the service, go sit between all the cliques and people as they're in conversations. I want you to go interrupt their conversations. I want you to go interrupt their cliques and sit in between them. And so, and then I said, guys, and then they're like, why? I said, because we are a community of love, right? We don't want cliques in this community. Right? We got to be, and then so they're like, yes, Pastor David. And I'm like, yeah, let's go destroy them all, right? And then... <laughs> Destroy the clicks, right? Not them. And, and, and as I sent them off, what I didn't realize in my immature understanding of Christian faith is that you can actually love all and build intentional relationships with a few. You can actually love all and still build intentional community with a few. You're like, where do you see that? Well, Mark 5, 35 to 37. It says this. While Jesus was still uh, speaking, some people came from the house of Darius, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said, and why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing this, uh, what they said, Jesus told them, Do not, uh, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Jesus had the 12 disciples, but even in the 12, he was really close with the three, right? And was Jesus showing a sin of favoritism? Should we rebuke Jesus? Was he having his own inner circle and not being able to love everybody else? Imagine what the nine would have felt every time in Jesus' most important moments, he leaned into his closest friends. They called him the inner circle. And in the transfiguration, in the garden, he only brought the three. I don't need the all 12 of you. I just want the three that know me really well can pray and care for me. And Jesus was able to love the world and still be intentional about the three that he felt a great level of chemistry. So having a shared values and interests and that's important for us in our Christian community. And eating together and enjoying one another's hobbies and connections and whatever that may be. And to foster that is important. The world will say chemistry first and then priority. But for us, it's priority first and then chemistry. That we commit to one another and in that very place, we begin to see what are some of the ways in which we connect and bond and share mutual values and interests and we build our communities around that. It's okay and it is appropriate to lean into the intentional relationships and folks that you have chemistry with. And you're like, I still don't believe it, David. I know you just gave Jesus as an example. So I quote from C.S. Lewis, our theologian. He says this, people who bore one another should meet seldom. People who interest one another often, please. <laughs> so this is even coming from C.S. Lewis, who is a deep, devoted follower of Jesus. He said, yeah, please hang out with people that you like. <laughs> Figure out who are the folks who are giving you life. And that's appropriate, that's important, and necessary in our journey. 
And once you do, we move into the third practice, the practice of vulnerability. And this is where communities begin to break down because we hate being vulnerable. We get to priority, we commit to our church, we commit to our small groups, we commit to one another, and we begin to share some of the mutual interests and, and hobbies and things where, where we begin to connect and, and laugh and enjoy one another. And then if you want to take that one more step into deep waters, you have to actually open yourself up. And that's scary and that's difficult. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13 says this, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Look at this. Apostle Paul saying, I've done this, but you... Have you ever been in conversations or in community groups where you've opened up and the other person is not? Have you ever had friends like that? And... and and we have, and, and let me just be honest, we have a lot of challenges as a culture that goes against the, the, the invitation to be vulnerable, right? I mean, I'm just going to think of myself here, right? Asian, American, Christian, male, pastor. Those are five unique challenges where vulnerability can be difficult for me. Asian, significant cultural shame that's involved. And so it's hard for us to open up because what would bring, what kind of damage it would bring to our community and our family name, right? Because we're a collective society. American, American individualistic values and say, hey, I don't need anybody. I can do it with my own strength. American, Asian American, right? Christian, I don't want to open up. I don't want that person to know the sins that I'm struggling. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to look differently, right? Male. Men have been pressured by society that emotion is a sign of weakness. I'm going to preach for a little bit here. I'm going to address the men in this room. Men, we got to get better at opening up our hearts. Men and women, we have our own unique challenges to vulnerability. I understand that. But men, we got to get better, and we got to stop believing the lie that feelings and emotions are a sign of weakness. Men, we got to get better at opening up the deep terrains of our own soul and say, I need help, and I need support, and I can't figure it out on my own strength, and it's okay to admit that, it's okay to acknowledge that, and it's okay to ask your community for help, that whatever the society and whatever the world says, what a traditional, strong, amazing, even Christian man should be, whatever that may be, I want to bring to you saying, I mean, Jesus wept. I mean, Jesus was frustrated and angry. He shared his heart. And Apostle Paul saying, open up your hearts, community. And so I, maybe some of us are taught that being stoic is maturity. It's not. That being stoic is a sign of stability. It's not. And friends, we have to get better at opening up so that unless we open up, then how will we be truly being seen and known? If we continue to hire ourselves, and by the way, we've been doing this from the beginning from Genesis, that as soon as something happened, we hid from God and we hide from one another. And this is what humans do. And I get it. And I totally get it. I understand 
And vulnerability is difficult because we've been doing that from the beginning of time. But the invitation is that as we open up ourselves, we begin to be seen and known for who we are. And as we do, we begin to hold the real versions of one another. Not the hidden, not the fake, not the facade versions, but the real versions. And in that very place, we begin to experience deep love and community. Pastor. That's the fifth challenge for me. And as I share about my own stuff, I mean, vulnerability. Like, imagine some of the things that I'm thinking about and I'm struggling through. One of the things that God has put on my heart recently is um, how I love to be perfect. And when I make mistakes, I like to hide it because as a pastor, I want to look good. And so... That gets me into all sorts of trouble because instead of being honest to my boss, to my leaders, I tend to exaggerate just a little bit to make it a little bit better than it, it is. And God has been inviting me to work on that, right? And as I share that, I cannot control how you will see me. And I get that. Some of you are like, okay, I'm done listening. Why is he here? Right? And I understand that. But unless you know me and I know you, how can we build real community? And pastors who hide behind their platforms, and we've seen pastors who aren't honest with their own struggles and journeys, we've seen in the last few years. If you're a pastor or leader in this room, we've also got to model that. If you're a small group leader, we've got to model this together. And that's the invitation from the scriptures. You're like, please move on. We're getting uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, I'll move on. <laughs> empathy. The fourth practice, the practice of empathy. It's doing our best to understand one another. I mean, think about this, right? When vulnerability is not met with empathy, we close ourselves even more. Right? Imagine, like, think of your small group, think of your relationships with your friend or with your spouse, and you open up, and then in your own opening up, they say something like, okay, we got to move on to the next uh, question that I'm, uh, I'm assigned, so next, right? Imagine that feeling that you get. You just shared something really meaningful in your life. Or you say something like, as simple as like, man, like, I've worked six hours today and you come home and I'm exhausted, right? And the other person says, you're exhausted after working only six hours? I worked eight hours and I'm fine, right? That's not empathy, friends, right? It, 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 right? Or like you, uh, you have young kids at home and, 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 and your spouse is like just chasing around the kids all day and you come back from work and your spouse is like, I'm so tired of watching kids. And you say back like, watching kids is so easy. I've never said that, by the way. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Right? 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 Real work is out there, right? I've never said that either. Lord, protect our marriage, right? And, and what we do is when our vulnerability is not with, met with empathy, 
it begins to even disconnect our relationships more and more. And oftentimes in Christian community, we are not good at listening to one another. We're not good at holding space for one another. I just, every time like I see small group leaders at our church and every time I do these trainings, I say, small group leaders, when someone shares, please don't correct them. That's not the first thing that they want from you. Please don't teach the Bible at them. Please don't say, well, God would, most times when people share, they actually know the answer, my wife would say, right? We want to be heard. We want to be known. We want to be seen. We want you to carry the weight with us and say, wow, that must be difficult. That's what empathy is. And the invitation for all of us, and, and, and look at Romans 12, 15, right? And empathy comes in all forms, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice, right? And, and celebrate, and whether it's the highs of life and the lows of life, right? Mourn with those who mourn. And Brenna Brown says this about empathy. Empathy has no script. There is no right way or wrong way to do it. It's simply listening, holding space, withholding judgment, emotionally connecting, and communicating that incredibly healing message of you're not alone. You're not alone in this. And if you do, once we prioritize and we build chemistry and we're able to be vulnerable and be honest with ourselves, and we meet one another with empathy, we finally get to the fifth practice of community, which is the practice of accountability. Before I talk about accountability, I want to pause here because I don't know this community very well in the sense of I've been here many years, but I don't know your individual stories. And when you hear the word accountability, it could be a trigger for you. You've been in places where in the name of accountability, harsh things have been said unto you with unkindness, with not much real care and empathy and love. You've, been, you've come from churches, and we have a lot in our community where you've been spiritually manipulated, abused by leaders or pastors, I just want to say that's not accountability. And I just want to say if you've gone through that, um, even though I don't represent the entire Christian leaders, just as a fellow Christian leader, I just want to say I'm sorry. Because Christians, we've got to get better at what biblical accountability is. And a lot of times... It's just in the name of just the pastor wanting to unfold his or her agenda in their lives. They use accountability and they force things upon you, but they just want to accomplish their churches or their agenda. Friends, that's not accountability. Real accountability is coming alongside one another to help each other become all that God is inviting them to be. Let me say that again. Real accountability is helping one another and coming alongside one another to help them become all that God is doing in their lives. So it is listening to God's voice in their lives, not your agenda. It's listening to the stories that God's unfolding in their lives, not whatever you want to see in them out of your own anger and your own frustration or your own impatience, friends. And as we do, and if we are able to do so, 
we're able to build a community where not only we're able to prioritize and have chemistry and, and lean in with accountability and, and a, a vulnerability and, and empathy, we are able to support one another and point towards one another to Jesus who is our leader of this community. And we help one another become all that Jesus is doing in this very church. Isn't this the kind of community that you and I are praying for, desperately seeking? So what would it look like for you? And where is one area? And I know that I've talked about the five practices. Where is one area in your life where God is inviting you to grow in? And here's a Galatians 6, 1 through 2. It says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin... In a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I love that. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And I love what Kevin Dion says about accountability. Okay. If you are a grace person, you are most concerned about being loved. If you are a truth person... You are most concerned about being right, even if it, uh, even it means being unloved. Both have their dangers. Something is, I love this, something is wrong if everyone hates you, and something is probably just as wrong if everyone loves you. Right? Something is wrong if everyone hates you, and something is just as wrong if everyone loves you. Are you a grace person, just a grace person, or are you just a truth person? That's a good self-diagnosis. Are you able to lean both with grace and truth, with gentleness, but with clarity? Or do you just, in the name of accountability, in your words and in your tone, in the way you carry community, you lean into one over the other? So, let me share how this all played in my life and, and uh, in the name of account of, uh, vulnerability and um, and invite you to consider what might be God inviting you into as you form deep community in your life. Um, I shared um, a few years ago about my family's car accident, and uh, we're all well, and it was a pretty bad ex accident on 280 Lawrence Expressway. There's just a, that on-ramp. It's kind of crazy. And, and um, I remember getting into that accident, and we almost, I mean, it's a nightmare, right? A car coming 70 miles per hour rear-ended us, and we had, at that time, two of our girls in the back, and um, they were really young, like nine months and a year and a half, like almost two, and I, as a father, that's like one of the greatest fears, and that very much thing happened in our family, and by God's grace, we all survived, and we're all okay now. And I share this story. I've already shared this story, but I share this story in this reason. Um, it was really difficult for me because I couldn't work for about nine months, and I had blurry vision, and it was hard for me to go back to work. And so they asked me to step down. The church asked me to step down from the role, not knowing what would happen in the process. And um, it was really, really, really frustrating for me as I was about, we were going about 22 different appointments a week, right? Chiropractic, brain therapy, uh, to name it, to acupuncture, physical therapy. And we were going back and forth. And then I remember being in the car with my two girls. And as I was driving them to their appointment, I mean, they're, they're, they're babies. And I was so mad that I was going to miss this important meeting at church. And I was so frustrated at them and at this accident and then God invited me to consider, like, where is your priority? 
do you care more about your job and title than your children and their health? And I began to see that in my own journey of pastoral ministry as Christian and as, as godly that may be, whatever that means, that I began to see and I began to prioritize my moving up in my work more important than my own family. And in that process, um, God asked me to redo some of the things that's going on in my life. And my pastor, my, my lead pastor at the time, came to our family and said this, said, David, we want to come alongside you and your family during this time. Don't worry about your finances. We will pay for your salary, and we want to just get you well. And I'm like, wow, vulnerability, empathy, prioritizing. I'm like, Steve, like you're doing exactly what my book says, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, awesome. And then he said, one last thing. And I was like, what? what? And he said, out of our love for you and our commitment to you, we want to support you in the process. But the way you're going to come back to working for us is that I'm going to have one question that I'm going to ask for an interview. And I said, one question only? This is such a great church. And I said, what question? And he said, um, I'm gonna, we're going to ask not you, but your wife just one question once you recover. And the question is this. Did David faithfully serve you and your children while at home? Was he present? And did he devote his life and his energy caring and supporting the family? Oof, accountability. But at that time, those words stung like crazy, but it saved my life. It saved my life. And I'm ever so grateful. And this is the beautiful invitation to see a community that's embodying these five principles well and to forge something that's, that the world cannot see. This world is broken and lonely and isolated, but God is inviting us to lean in. And as we do, my prayer is that Calvary Church will be known as a church where they are marked by deep commitment and love for one another. And in that place, my prayer is that you would experience, as you love one another, more fully God's presence and God's love, according to 1 John, in your life. And may this place be filled with joy and gratitude. May be that kind of community. Let's pray together. So God, we thank you for the reminder and the invitation to build and forge meaningful community. God, we are tired of shallow relationships. We are tired of going in and out. We are tired of, of not prioritizing, not building chemistry, not being vulnerable, not empathizing, not holding one another to accountability. And God, we want to be the sorts of community that's marked by this. And so help us to do so. God, I pray for everyone here. There's one thing that, God, you might be inviting them to grow in. God, I pray that they, in this week, would lean into that. And God, would you continue to form this church where the world, the Silicon Valley, will see that this is indeed a loving community that honors Jesus. God, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.